Hi, I'm Janelle. And I'm Monique. And welcome to Is Marriage Worth It? We are just two single chicks, girls, women. Anything but females. Trying to figure out what marriage is like and is it worth it? I'm assuming the best place to get the answers is from married people. Maybe engaged people, newlyweds, and even other singles. Each episode, we will have a guest answering different questions we have or that you may have about marriage. Join us as we try to figure out, is marriage worth it? And if it is, I wonder if my future husband or yours is listening right now. Hi, I'm Monique. And I'm Janelle. And welcome back to another episode of... Is marriage worth it? Our guest today is Shannon. And Shannon actually um, commented on a Facebook post that I made about looking for guests. So she gave a little background. I sent her the link and she signed up. So thank you, Shannon, for being a guest on our podcast today. No problem. I'm happy to be here. All right. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a... Divorced, single mom of four kids. I was married for 10 years and I have been divorced for almost 10 years. Uh, Next month, it'll be 10 years. And um, I've been on a really interesting journey uh, going from, you know, being a married mom of four to a single mom of four and just rebuilding my life from that experience has really taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me a lot about marriage in and of itself. And how I did not understand it at all going in it. I mean, I don't think there's much you can understand when you're getting married at 21. Um, and since then, I've rebuilt my life, rebuilt my career. Uh, and I'm really happy now. So it's funny because my sisters will sometimes ask, well, when are you going to get remarried? And I have gotten to a place of such happiness that I don't know that I really want to. Like, hmm. You know, it's just I I have come to love myself that, you know, there doesn't it doesn't feel like there's anything missing. It's like having a relationship or being married would be more like icing on a cake, not a necessary ingredient to a meal. If that makes sense. It does. Okay, I can get with that. (laughs) All right. So let's back it up a little bit. You said you got married at 21. Mm -hmm. How or yeah. How did you meet? meet? Okay, yeah. So this is an interesting story. My kids laugh at it because my oldest is 20. My second oldest is 19. So I waited till they got to be teenagers to like really clue them in on how did (laughs) I meet dad? You know, like (laughs) so. Um. So I'm a PK. So I was raised in church. My dad was a preacher. And this was really like the motivation for me getting married so young, because, you know, in religious upbringing, there's like a huge emphasis on, you know, celibacy and not mm-hmm. having sex before marriage. And if you slip up and do that, then you better get married to, you know, make your life look clean or whatever. And as a result of that, uh, I met I met my ex-husband. We actually lived in the same apartment complex and I was on my whole fitness bit. And so I was walking every day Mm -hmm. and um, it just so happened that uh, he was driving by one day and uh, he asked me for his phone, asked me for my phone number. And, you know, I'm on this whole 
I'm all about me thing. And I'm like, no, I don't give my phone number out. And and (laughs) so I just kind of like, and in my estimation, when I first sized him up, I was like, he looks younger than me. And I was like, I'm not doing that, you know? And so I was like, no, you can't have my number, little boy. And, you know, I kept on walking. How old were you at this time? (laughs) I was 19. Yeah, I was 19. So, um... Yeah, I wasn't having it. You couldn't have my phone number. I kept walking, but then I kept running into him. <laughs> and then around the third time, he was like, look, he might dispute me on this if he hears this, but it is the truth. He said, look, if I give you my number, will you call me? And I like, maybe, because, you know, you got to play hard to get, you know, you can't be too, you know, easy. So I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'll think about it. And back then it was like the thing to wait four or five days before you call a guy if he gives you the number. That was like the rule. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I waited. I waited the standard four or five days and then I finally called him and then we just started talking and going out. And then uh, it just kind of moved kind of fast after that point, you know, and um, next thing you know, I ended up finding out I was pregnant, but I didn't realize when I found that I was pregnant, I was actually five months pregnant when I found out. Oh, wow. Oh. Because you got to think about it. I'm on this fitness bit. I'm not really mm-hmm. eating, you know, a lot of food. I'm watching my weight. So I was like this big, you know, like a toothpick. And I had no stomach. And I did notice there was like a, you know, a shift in my appetite. Like I noticed that okay. I didn't want to eat as much, but that didn't equate to pregnancy to me. Right. So I just kept doing what I was doing, but then I started having like stomach pains and I'm like, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the hospital and they was like, Oh, you're five months pregnant. And I'm like, <laughs> pregnant how? <laughs> like, come again. I literally disputed her because I was like, there's no way I could, or, do you see me? There's no way. There's no way. And my sister was with me and she's like, no, there's no way. There's no way she's pregnant. And she's like, I'm in nursing school. There's no way she's pregnant. And she's like, okay, so clearly you two are know-it-alls. Let me go upstairs, take you upstairs to, for ultrasound. And um, turns out she was right. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, and you know, the weird thing about that time was we had been like arguing back and forth because he wanted children and I didn't. Mm. And and I and it was just something I was a staunch believer that I was going to be a psychologist. I was going to travel the world. I was going to have boatloads of money and I didn't have time to have kids and be settled down and barefoot and pregnant. That that just wasn't going to be my future. Right. And so we didn't see eye to eye on future plans. And so his take was, if you don't see yourself having children, then I don't see a future with you. And I said, well, fine. And we broke up. And then I had to tell him, oh, by the way, so that whole plan with the kid thing, I, yeah, I guess that's back on because like I'm five months pregnant. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to I had to backtrack and tell him that. And then, of course, he's thinking, you know, his whole take on it was, see, it was meant to be, you know, da da da. And then I was like, fine, you know, and then I didn't want to tell my dad. So I didn't tell him. And. I managed to fly out and I was still at home. I managed to fly under the radar for at least two additional months 
And the only reason why my father found out was because my baby sister, who was five years old at the time, overheard my other sister, because I have three sisters. She overheard mm-hmm. my other sister tell someone, oh my God, Shannon is pregnant. And so my baby sister is in the car with my dad one day going to church and was like, yeah, Shannon's pregnant. So my dad finds out from my baby sister. Snitches. <laughs> right? <laughs> can't do nothing with kids. Nothing with kids. That's like, see, this is why they want kids. <laughs> so what was your dad's reaction? He literally cried. Aww. He literally cried. He was not happy. And, um, and that added insult to injury because, you know, I already was feeling guilty because mm-hmm. church girl, pregnant outside of marriage. I mean, there's always, there's already a weight of shame when it come when it came to that. And then to have him, I would have rather him yell at me and like, you know, yeah. then to stand there and cry because that just emphasizes the disappointment. Like I've already, mm. I've already worked that out that mm-hmm. you didn't have to, <laughs> you know, add to it. But um, yeah. So then shortly after that, uh, I ended up moving in with him and then we ended up getting married because, you know, my dad was like, now okay, you had a baby. Now you're shacking up. You know, they had that terminology yeah, yeah. without being married. And so I'm like, I can't win, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I so we ended up getting married. And I, and I think that was the problem. I got married because of external pressure to appease people mm-hmm. who weren't who wanted to keep up appearances and live according to these norms within this cult that I was in because it wasn't a church. I just mm-hmm. I, I feel like it was a cult at this point in hindsight. And yeah, so, you know, I'm basically making life decisions based on other people's mm-hmm. plans and other people's desires. And I hadn't really gotten acquainted with my voice at that point. I mean, because you're really young, you don't really right. know who you are. And you have dominant figures in your life. Like my dad was very authoritative. He's, you know, a preacher and, you know, a veteran. You don't mm-hmm. have a say in anything. And mm-hmm. so it was very hard to be able to voice my opinion. And so I just found myself going with the flow for a very long time. And that included marriage and kids. And I had three more kids after that. And so it was like, this is not what I planned. <laughs> right. So when you guys got married, did you just do like a courthouse singing or did you like go through the motions of having like a big wedding or something to, you know, wrap it all nicely in a bow for everybody oh, no. else? I No, I wanted to just, I just wanted to be official on my conscience. So mm-hmm. I didn't need the, you know, because in my mind, this was already not what I planned. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out of my way and do the fanfare when this is, wasn't my plan. I'm doing what mm-hmm. everybody else wanted me to do you know, in order for them to feel like I was acceptable or not sinful or, you know, not a pure heathen, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like you're living your life through other people's expectations. So how can you take joy in planning? This is supposed to be like the best thing that has ever happened to you. And this is the thing, you know, most girls have the books and the plans of how they're going to get married and what their husband's going to look like and where their house is going to look like. I, I wasn't that type of girl growing up I was just in books and I wanted to travel and I wanted to just explore things and learn Mm -hmm. I didn't I never saw myself being settled and so um yeah I wasn't interested in planning a wedding I was like let's do the courthouse thing let's 
get the paper signed so my dad can be fine. The church is <laughs> not ready to stone me and I can live in peace. <laughs> so. So what was the first year of marriage like? It was rough. It, it was rough because I had a newborn mm-hmm. and uh, well, yeah, she wasn't like a newborn, newborn. She was like an infant. And I was trying to balance working and this, you know, new baby and trying to navigate motherhood. And my dad was a single dad. So for for me, I struggle with the maternal stuff because I didn't have that maternal bond with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to figure it out through my head and like, well, what does a mom do? I guess they do this, you know, and I'm just I'm making these decisions through what I'm reading or seeing other people do, but none of it came natural to me. So I struggled with the the whole wife concept and Mm -hmm. the mother concept because I didn't have a tangible example I could like touch and reach out to, so to speak. Were the other children planned or were they also, um, yeah, they, I mean, they were kind of playing. I mean, I knew they were coming based on what we were doing. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, um, I mean, on one hand, it wasn't like unplanned, but then I wasn't actually trying to prevent it either. So it was more like I just leave it up in, you know, right. to fate and let's see what happens. But I didn't regret any of my kids. So I all, I have mm-hmm. to put that out there just in case they listen to it. I don't want them to get the feeling like, oh, my God, we were mistakes. Like, no, <laughs> it was it wasn't planned, but it still was a blessing. Like right. I I could not now imagine my life without my kids because they truly have been uh, a huge part of how I have been able to evolve and grow and rebuild my life after my divorce, because they were like a huge part of that motivation to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So in the 10 years of marriage, I guess, how did you deal with hardships that came about? Um, in the first couple of years, it was me um, just suppressing how I felt about things and allowing, because he was a more dominant personality. I was, you know, the more quiet one. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I could perceive that things were going down the wrong way and I couldn't speak up. And so we would end up in sometimes a lot of the hardships we experienced is just simply because I didn't say, you don't know what you're doing. This is what we need to do instead. I, mm-hmm. I did not have the courage or the confidence to do that. And I was indoctrinated with the with the belief that the man was the head and he's supposed to do everything and the Mm -hmm. woman is just supposed to follow the man's lead even if he's leaving leading you off a cliff and so now I mean so then you know the first four or five years kind of were were very difficult just simply because I know I have a gift of wisdom and I have insight but I could not use that Mm. because of my programming and the upbringing that I had it was just like it was almost it felt wrong to speak up Mm-hmm. And, you know, after you go through a lot of hardships and losing cars and losing places, you're like, damn that. I got to say something because I'm not going to have my life keep going yeah. down this road because you are insisting that, you know, and I know better. I can see. Right. 
you know, you know, there's blind, we all have blind spots and I just happened to have insight in areas where he was having blind spots, but the pride wouldn't allow you to listen because you're the, you're the man and you got this. Okay. But do you? (laughs) So that's what made it very difficult. It was a lot of financial challenges. It was a lot of uh, arguing. And mm-hmm. I think it's just because we were very young and we we didn't have a positive role model of marriage. No one actually sat us down to say, this is what you need to do in marriage. And mm-hmm. these are the things you need to anticipate because this is two lives coming together as one. And so right. you're going to have a transitionary period. And you need to brace yourself for that and recognize it's going to be growing pains and and just know that it's okay. You're going to eventually become in sync and your life is going to be it's going to improve. If someone had gave me that talk, I I don't know that I would have necessarily left. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the combination of the lack of maturity and then the lack of professional growth, Mm -hmm. because if one person is growing, and trying to be better and do better. And the other person is stagnating is constantly causing friction and frustration because you're no longer speaking the same language. I would be reading books and all excited and come talking about the concepts and imagine someone looking at you like you're speaking another language. And then it's just like your heart drops because you're like, I'm trying to grow. You're not, who do I talk to? You know? How old was he when you uh, married? We both, he, we both were 21. Oh, okay. Yep. So what was the final straw that you decided, look, we can't keep doing this anymore? Yeah. Um, it was, it wasn't actually just one thing. It was a combination of things. It was the hardship part, you know, the lack of communication and not willing to listen. And, you know, that, that idea that I know, I know you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some infidelity and then just the lack of respect. I feel, I felt like I wasn't respected as a partner mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't looked at as an equal. And mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't continue to stay in a situation where I felt like I wasn't valued and I wasn't respected. And then the whole infidelity thing just all of that combined, it was just, it was like too much. It was just too much. So when you made this decision to like file for divorce, did you tell anybody else that you were planning on doing it or you're just like, I'm done. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. He didn't even know. Oh, <laughs> was he surprised with it? I, it feels like. A yeah. Decision. Yeah. He was very, of he, was. He, he was very surprised. And this is the part that I feel like I was at fault because I, at that time in my life, I wasn't great at communication. I will admit. Mm-hmm. And I don't like conflict. I mean, I didn't, then. I embrace it now, but I didn't, I didn't like conflict then. And I just wanted out. And I knew he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to agree to, to just dissolve the marriage. Cause I knew he, he still wanted to be in it and I didn't. And so I had to consult with a lawyer to figure out how do I do this without having this combative confrontational situation that's drawn out for years and years and years. Right. So she gave me the right advice and and we did what she told me to do. And and so everything kind of fell into place. And then I left 
and I moved out and, and that was a whole thing. I mean, it was very dramatic and it was nasty, mm-hmm. but, um, I left, I moved into another place and then I, Christmas time came around. And so we were technically, you know, split now we're living in different places. And then Christmas came around and, um, he came to visit the kids for Christmas and I, he's still thinking there's a chance that we could work it out. Cause he doesn't know we're divorced. And I'm like, damn, how do I say to him? We're not married anymore. And I didn't have Wait, what? Yeah. Where'd you get this divorce that happened so quickly? Well, it happened over a course of a year. It took a year okay. to get yeah. done, but it was just the fact that we had, yeah, we weren't living together once I decided to leave, but I was still waiting for the paperwork to be official. So the paperwork was official December 12th of 2012. And he came down for that Christmas. So like literally two or three weeks before that I had got the paperwork. And, and so he's with the kids, we're all doing the whole Christmas thing. And I'm in the back of my mind saying, so at some point I'm going to have to tell him that we're actually not married. Cause he kept calling me wife, you know what I'm saying? And, Mm -hmm. and so I was like, okay, so, you know, his birthday is on Christmas. So that would be a good time. Friends, don't do that. (laughs) It was never a good time. So (laughs) the bad thing that I did that I think was kind of crappy now in hindsight was I ended up telling him in an email, like after he left, like, Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we're actually officially divorced. So I want you to feel like you have to feel obligated to try to work this out or anything because we're we're not we're not married anymore. And uh, he was livid. He was livid. When did he get a copy of the divorce decree? I need to research divorce. Never mind. It's my fault. I will do some research later. Yeah, I'm like confused how he doesn't get a copy. This is Virginia. Well, they they did put it in the paper. They they put an, an announcement in the paper. Okay. Give you the the opportunity to contest it and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't respond, he he lives. He was from New York, so when we split, uh, he went back to New York. Okay. Everything was happening in Virginia because that was a state that we got married in. Right. So he was never here to really. Um. I guess no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done that part that way because that was kind of messy. But uh, after he got that email, of course, we had a phone conversation that didn't go over that well. And then no, uh, but. So it was a little it was a little te- it was a little tense for a few years because okay. he in his mind, I can't believe you did that. In his mind, he was betrayed. So. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you had to know this was coming. If I moved out, I, you know. You're living separate lives. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. think. So what was life like, I guess, after like that went down after divorce? You know, it must have been tense for a little bit, but what happened yeah. after? It was actually, it was kind of rough the first five years. Um for one, you know, being a single parent, you know, raising four kids and like my ex was kind of malicious in the beginning because he's like, I didn't choose 
for us to split. You chose to be a single parent. So, you know, it's like I couldn't count on him for help because in his mind, I chose this. And so I don't like that. So financially it was rough. Emotionally, I was going through like a whole roller coaster of emotions because I I really wanted to leave before the 10 year mark. But I didn't have the courage or the confidence to do it because I didn't feel like I was going to be able to stand on my own two feet. I'm like, how do I handle all of this by myself? And so I kept stalling, leaving when I knew I should have left much sooner. So when I finally did leave in that first few years, it was kind of scary. Then I kind of second guessed my decision. Like, did I really make the right decision? Uh-huh. Um, it was just ups and downs, ups and downs. Then there'll be days where I'm like, I'm living my best life. This is the best decision ever. And then you're down again. I'm like, oh my God, am I crazy? Am I losing it? And it was just transition. It, that uh-huh. was just the transitionary period of just readjusting to a whole new norm. And by year five, I kind of got in my rhythm I had finished grad school because I, once I left, I had went back to school and finished out my undergrad and then went right into grad school the next month, uh, finished my graduate degree. And then I moved to another city, took a job in D.C. Okay. And then my life just continued to go up from there. I just needed to get through that rough transitionary period. Right. Um, was your dad supportive during this time or was that another hard transition with him? Yeah. So when I, I think he was probably more relieved that I left than when I um, married him because he was not happy about the marriage part. Um, And so he had passed away um, not long after and I'm sorry. So no, it's no problem. And so he didn't really get to see, I think my transition in the good side. I think he saw me struggle. You know, I had to stay with him for a while and then it was just really rough. And then he passed not long after that. And so he didn't get to see the upside and that, that always stings Uh because I I, I wanted him to see that I actually, you know, rebound from it. But, you know, I know he's looking down from above and, and uh, he got the the recap. So <laughs> <laughs> the recap, yeah. So your um, degreed twice over, yep. big woman, may, uh, living in DC with a mm-hmm. big girl job and your four kids. Mm-hmm. Was dating on the mind? Is it not still like? Yeah, I have a whole opinion about dating, like. okay so dating has been difficult and I think that this is probably one of the reasons why I had pushed back in my mind like I don't know that I want to get remarried I don't know that I want to try again because I have rebuilt my life I have peace of mind I have total control over everything I have connected with my voice I have my confidence and all those things that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do I really want to do all this readjusting for another person all over again? And mm. the challenge with dating nowadays is that women are different. You know, you know, in my dad's time period, women got married because of financial security and having 
someone to vouch for them because they couldn't own property. They couldn't do these things on their own. They always had to have a man attached. And so the problem lies today is that men have not evolved mentally to understand that we don't need them to survive now Mm -hmm. and that they have to evolve into worthy partners for us to look at them, to consider building a life with them. Thank you. Yes. Make yourself worthy. Yes. And and it's not just, you know, the worthiness goes both ways. You know, it's it's an exchange of value. But what I, but my challenge is when I meet men, they still have that old thinking that women just need a man and that they don't have to do anything to qualify to be in our lives. And that's my challenge because you think because you have whatever is between your legs is it. That's not, that's not it. That, that doesn't just instantly qualify you to be my man, you know, like <laughs> you communicate. Do you have a thriving career? Are you happy by yourself? That is a mm. huge thing for me because if you're mm. miserable and you're just waiting for a woman to rescue you out of your misery, misery because you're lonely, I, I can't do anything with you because I'm actually happy by myself, I entertain myself with reading, watch my favorite movies, playing games. I mean, I have a lot of things that I'm interested in and I just like to think. So I'm very comfortable in my own skin and I'm comfortable in my own presence. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable in your own presence, that's going to be a problem in a relationship because you're going to be clingy. Right. You, you have no identity outside of a relationship. There's nothing that I can do with that. And so I have found it very difficult to find someone that speaks my language. Mm. And um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what's in the cards for me when it comes to that, but I'm at peace either way at this point. So to get to that conclusion, like, did you attempt to date? And that's oh. what happened. And that's how you found out. Like you were meet people and you go, bro, yeah. you're not it. Yeah, I would date. I tried dating um, my sister in the first couple of years of me being single. She's like, try online dating. I I'm not going to mention the app name, but it was atrocious. And there was not one quality anything on there. (laughs) It's like everybody had that same mindset. You want a man, right? Okay, here I am. Okay, well, that's not it. Like, do you have anything else? And I don't understand the thing with men. This is my pet peeve too. It's like how men will on these particular apps, like they reach out to you. They don't really have any questions. It's just, Hey babe, or Hey sexy, or, you know, they comment on something external and superficial, but then mm. there's no follow-up. Right. And mm, then yes. you reply, Hey, you know, you might reply with a whole full sentence, like get wild, you know, <laughs> and then they don't say anything or they ask you for their number. You, they ask you for your number and then they don't text or they'll text once and then they disappear. It's like, well, what, what, what was the point? And that's why I don't give out my number, but they're so quick to ask for it. I'm like, look, if you can't communicate on this app that we both commit connected on, yeah. why am I going to give you my whole phone number? Yeah. I've not changed this number. If somebody knew me back in like 2006, they have my phone number. I don't want this any, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm not I blocking you. I'm not going through that. Google voice. I don't use my phone number. I'll give you a number, Ooh. not mine. <laughs> I always forget that that's an option. Yes, it's the best so thing I ever. will give you 
A number. <laughs> I'll answer it if I, you know, if I connect it to my phone. But, you know, yeah, Google Voice is like the best thing for that because um, I, I had an actual number designated for dating. And and then if it was just like garbage, I just disconnected it. So it never got to my phone. It just <laughs> stayed on the computer in the ether and that little thing. And I never checked it. <laughs> Well, I don't even know how many messages I have on there. This one, <laughs> I haven't checked in years. Um, yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> it's like the most baller move I've heard in a long time. It's like, I just dropped the number. Who knows what's happening there? Right. Because, I mean, you can check it on the computer or if you choose to download, like, the Google Voice app. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you can check it in and check the messages inside that app or you can sync it to your phone number to where if they text that number, then the text will come through to your phone, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can reply as if you're replying. You know, it's still masking. So it's showing that number. Right. But um, yeah, I got so exasperated with it because it was like such lack of. Conversation, and I have to say, I did have one. um I think this was a year before last. I did meet somebody and I thought it was going somewhere and we, we dated for a while. But the thing about me is I'm very ambitious. Like I have my own podcast. I'm a certified career coach. I work full time mm-hmm. and I'm homeschooling my son. Like I got a lot of things going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is the other pet peeve that I have with men is that sometimes they come into your space or come into your life with the expectation that you're just going to drop everything and just make them top priority. You haven't earned the right to be a top priority in my life yet. You just got here. Right. And this guy had that mindset. Like he wanted me to make everything like make him a priority, make everything else secondary. And he would always have these like passive aggressive comments. Oh, you're so busy, you know, as if, you know, that's a problem. But my thing is, it's like guys like that. They want you to they want you to make them priority. Mm -hmm. And they like the idea of having someone that's ambitious and, you know, somewhat successful as a woman, because I think that's an ego boost. But what they don't want is. They don't want a woman that doesn't have anything going for themselves and has all the time that they want. But you want a woman that is successful who if they're going to be successful, they're going to be busy. So it's like you can't have it both ways. And they come in emphasizing that they will have it both ways until I say, you know what, this is not going to work out or you're going to be lonely. No, no, I'm not. That's the most online thing, men saying, oh, you're going to be lonely. That's not the worst thing that could happen to me. It's not. It's not. And there's a difference between loneliness and alone. No, I'm going to be single. I'm going to be alone, but I won't be lonely. Because mm. loneliness is is a, it's a feeling of incompleteness. It's a, it's a longing because there is a sense of something being missing. If I'm already complete in myself, there's no way I can be lonely. Cause I enjoy my own company and I have four kids, you know, like there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, these kids will be keeping me busy. And my kids have now, you know, like my older two is, you know, they're 20 and 18. Like we're, we're reaching that phase of mom and, and, and kid that's like friends. Right. 
we hang out, we watch, you know, movies, we wrestle, we talk smack, you know, we, we have a good time with each other. So it's like, I will never be lonely. And I think that women get into a place of distinguishing between loneliness and lone and being alone and taking that personal power really gives you an advantage in the dating space because then you're not easily manipulated. You're not dating from a place of need or desperation. You're literally looking at candidates to see if they're a good fit. Like I'm asking you qualifying questions. I'm determining suitability like a job, you know? So there's no emotion in a job interview. There really shouldn't be any emotion in deciding if someone is a good partner during the dating phase. You get into the emotional point of it when you've decided he's a good partner. That's when you Mm -hmm. let your emotions turn on. In the beginning, when you're just going on these little superficial dates and you're asking qualifying questions and you're determining suitability, I don't I don't turn the emotional switch on. And -hmm. that's why I get called cold hearted or you're a bee or you're selfish. No, I'm determining suitability in the first six months. And um, and then once you are someone that is like, okay, I can see this going somewhere. Okay, now emotions are allowed. Mm-hmm. to come into play because then my judgment is not fogged because that's what messed me up the first time you know? <laughs> like I'm all enamored six foot five Ooh, six guy, five. you know I tall guys but you know it's like <laughs> he's tall he's handsome you know I got all enamored with the package Most there's no substance going everywhere didn't ask not once not one qualifying question in the beginning, just like damn, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So I have so there was one person who had potential. Had you had he gotten a chance to meet any of the children or he hadn't made it to that level yet? Yeah, he did. He met them very shortly. Um, and then they, cause see for me, I am of the mindset because there's two schools of thought when it comes to dating as a single parent, some say, you know, don't let your kids meet them until you know, for sure, Mm -hmm. um, that he's the one, how can I determine if he's the one, if my kids are not exposed to him early on so they can tell me how they feel. Cause my kids are empathic and I rely on their perspective. Yeah. Basically they just pick up on energy around them and one is a little bit more sensitive to the other. So my philosophy is if I expose them to the person that I'm dating in the beginning, Mm -hmm. then I have more eyes on the person from different angles. It's just like your girlfriend meet the person or your sisters meet the person. If my kids are going to be directly impacted by this person and being in my life, then I need them to give me their feelings about in the beginning before I invest a lot of time and energy in this person. And I met that person's son as well Mm -hmm. uh, pretty early on. So that helped me make a more holistic decision and they didn't care for him. So it helped me, (laughs) help me make decisions like uh, even faster because there was things that I didn't like. And then if I know that they are picking up on things, too, that they didn't like, then it's like, OK, well, this is a simple decision. Right. Um, and so let's not you know, waste any more time. But I, I hate the fact that when women use their voice and, you know, and they put down boundaries and they're saying, you know, this is not going to work. 
men automatically challenge it and, and try to make you feel like you don't really know what you want. And I really, really resent that. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm saying this is not going to work, I have X, Y, and Z, you know, going on and these are certain things that I don't like. And so f- for me, this is not going to work. I wish you the best. If I'm c- clearly communicating that to you, then the only response, the only appropriate response would be, okay, I I can respect that. I wish you the best as well. We're not arguing about my decision. You know, know, don't tell me that, oh, you just didn't give it enough time or I'm not a child. I have a fully functioning brain and I understand what works for my life and what doesn't work for my life. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I've seen in dating um, that really irks me is the lack of respect of women's opinion and their voices when they make decisions that, you know, a male may not like, or it's not in their advantage. So now you're going to, you're going to gaslight me or try to manipulate me into thinking that maybe I don't know what I need, or maybe I don't know what I want. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that adds to my hesitation again. (laughs) (laughs) Again. Um, What's your relationship with uh, your ex? Because I know in the beginning it got hard. It was hard. Yeah, it was very tenuous. It was very strained. Uh, now we have matured a little bit more. I think I, after we crossed over to 40, things got a little bit more um, civil. Okay. And uh, so now we're we're very respectful of each other. We don't communicate on a regular basis just because mm-hmm. our personalities just is like oil and water. But there is a distant mutual respect for one another. And, um, you know, and we're able to co-parent. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's a lot of work. (laughs) Oh, yes. Co-parenting. Yeah, co-parenting. And then when you add another woman and another kid into it, you know, Mm -hmm. he had another child. Uh, So it it can complicate it. It can complicate it a lot. But uh, I'm just grateful that we got through that stormy part of our our lives and we're now reaching a more settled mature state of being and uh and just look out for the best interest of the kids so right absolutely yeah so what advice do you think you would give for people moving on after divorce how to pick themselves back up and you know get to a i guess a happier place maybe yeah yeah, when the in the rebuilding phase, I think that the first and the most important thing is to really get reintroduced to yourself because I find that when we are in long relationships or marriages, our identity kind of folds into the relationship and we can tend to lose ourselves. We tend to lose touch with what do we want and what, you know, what do we uh need and like. And I found that my first few years, I really had to re reintroduce myself to myself in that way, you know, because people will ask me, what do you want? And I couldn't answer the question. It was like the most difficult question to answer in the first few years of me rebuilding everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted. And so the first thing I would say is really get in touch with who you are and what you truly want out of your life going forward and, and really recognize that. You know, in starting over, there's nothing wrong with starting over because the beautiful thing of starting over is that you're not starting from scratch. 
Mm. You're just starting from a different place uh, 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 on a sense is an elevated place because you're building on lots of learning experiences and you're not the person you were because those experiences have made you wiser, stronger or or better in some way, even if it's just knowing that you're not going to make these certain mistakes anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, really coming into a full understanding of who you are and what you want will be the first thing. And then two, you know, look at how you can improve yourself, because the other thing for me was uh, with me struggling so much financially in the beginning, I recognized that I had to improve myself to command more money in my career. So I worked on my skills. I worked on personal development to really get rid of that stinking thinking and that limited thinking and scarcity mindset and really focus on possibility and just broadening my capacity to receive more. And so I would recommend, you know, really working on you and and elevating yourself and increasing your value, whether it's personally or professionally, Mm -hmm. so that you can have more confidence and have more um, boldness and assertiveness in how you show up in the world, because that brings on more into your life Mm -hmm. uh, because you're now you've worked on yourself to a point where you can handle more. And um, and then lastly, enjoy life. You know, don't feel like you have to, you know, that that enjoying life is tied to the label of a relationship. You know, you can enjoy life with yourself. Like my sister in the beginning, she could not believe that I would take myself on dates. Like I would take myself to the movies. I would take myself to my favorite dinner, uh, my my favorite restaurant, whatever the favorite meal is. And I didn't I didn't blink an eye. I don't care about sitting in a restaurant by myself because I (laughs) took the time to do step two. I worked on myself Mm -hmm. and I am at peace with myself. I love myself and I'm going to care for myself because at the end of the day, how can I expect a man to come into my life and do for me what I am not willing to do for myself? I set the Mm. standard for how I am treated. I set the standard of the intensity and the way in which I am to be loved because I'm going to show you how I love myself. Right. And, you know, that's the third thing, enjoy life and do for you what you expect someone to do for you so that when they come into your life, you can demonstrate how you like to be loved or how you require to be loved because you've already been doing it for yourself. Right. So that would be my, my three big pieces of advice in rebuilding Um, Because the rebuilding really starts with you, because if you rebuild yourself, then everything else kind of aligns and it comes into play. It comes into place and position based on who you are. Right. So that would be my tips. It has worked for me. (laughs) Pretty good for the past 10 years. (laughs) Those sound like really good tips, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you 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 are. You like them. I, they have really, really. I, and it's not just, you know, I'm not blowing smoke like they literally have worked for me. And um, and I find that people when I talk to like my coworkers or friends and I they don't you know, when they look at me, they don't realize that, that I have gone through all of that. And once I tell them, you know, they're just like shaking their head like I can't believe you. And the thing that always gets people is the fact that I picked up and moved to another city where I didn't know anyone with mm-hmm. my four kids. Mm. That was the big kicker. Like you are crazy. Like, cause I, in hindsight, I realized that takes a level of courage to do that so much. Oh, most definitely. 
But I didn't see that in the beginning. I didn't see it at the time. I just saw that I needed to get out of the city that reminded me of everything about my marriage, like every side of town or every place that I went, I triggered with another memory. And I just I, was, I just wanted to go somewhere that mm-hmm. there wasn't any memories. And so I I moved two hours away from home to, mm-hmm. to do that. And it was the best thing ever because it really forced me to grow. It forced me to, to really go inward because there was nothing distracting me. Mm-hmm. And and I really it really expedited like as it um what's the word it kind of uh, accelerated mm-hmm. my growth because it was like sink or swim right but definitely the one to save you you know like you got to get this done or you and the kids are not going to eat and so that wasn't an option mm-hmm. so I, I think I did myself a favor in doing that. Did your kids ever? like question like hey when are you gonna start dating or anything like that <laughs> yeah they did um but I want to say in 2018 is when they started tapping me on my shoulder like when are you gonna move on you know and you know I tried you know certain dates I tried to mm-hmm. go out with people and it just like <sighs> nothing worked and so my my oldest daughter started to say, I don't know that you want to move on. You find something wrong with everybody. (laughs) So I wonder if you even want to move on. And I'm like, I mean, there's a danger Mm -hmm. in becoming comfortable with you in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like there, and and I say danger for lack of a better word, but it's almost like you get so comfortable with you there is, you know, for a guy it's frustrating because they come into your life and they don't have anywhere to manipulate and, and like move you to want to hold on to them. And mm-hmm. because they've been used to pulling our strings for so long and, you know, they could threaten to leave and then we acquiesce and we give them what they want or, you know, whatever guys come into my life and they try that. And I'm like, okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Because <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up. I'm going to go in the kitchen. I'm going to get my Talenti cookie caramel crunch. I'm going to go upstairs, watch my favorite movie. I'm going to be happy as a lark. Like this. <laughs> you can't threaten me. <laughs> so you're like, what do you do with that? And so that's why I ask myself now, like, what do I do with the fact that I can stay this way? It's like there's no motivation to be in a relationship. There's no. I don't know. You know how people have like their biological clock ticks and they like, I need to be married. And it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like I've been there and done that. I think in getting married so early mm-hmm. and then going through all the bad stuff and then rebuilding my life, I feel like I've been there and done all of it. And it's just right. like, well, I've seen how the movie ends and I don't know that I want to watch it again. You know, makes sense. So I would gently push back that you. It's not that you haven't moved on. I think you just decided I think what and you're in a state of I have moved on. I just haven't moved on to someone else. That's a good point. Yeah, I agree with you. I have moved on because I've changed. I've grown. Mm-hmm. I've evolved. Um, just not with someone. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. With you. But see, I think that's where it speaks to programming and just societal mm-hmm. molding of our minds and what we think should and should not be done. 
Right. And they and they they are kind of victims of that, too, where in their minds, this is how it's supposed to play out. And in me growing and changing and evolving, it's almost like I'm pushing back on their on how I raised them when they were younger. Right. Because I change and they're looking at me like, well, you said back then. Yeah, but I'm. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a good lesson for them to to see that nothing is like static. Everything mm-hmm. is dynamic. Everything is moving, growing and changing. And so what was five years ago may not be today and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that I, now in having this conversation, I feel like I need to go back and redefine those things for them because it, everything is happening so fast that, you mm-hmm. know, they just see me going, but there is a slowing down to say, okay, and this is why this is happening. Right. I know I taught you one thing, um, and that was because I was teaching you what I have been taught, but now I've unlearned some things and I've mm-hmm. relearned some other things. And here's where I'm at today and why I'm doing what I'm doing today and give them that context. I, and that's why communication is so important, you know, mm-hmm. with children or anybody. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad you said that. Cause now I'm going, Hey kids, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> So what dating advice would you give your oldest to? Oh, we've had those conversations because one of them is actually in a relationship. She's been in a relationship for the past two years. And I look at her and I'm like, you are so opposite of me. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of things she reminds I mean, she does remind me of myself in a lot of ways, but the way she does relationships is where I'm like, I don't know where you got that from. But, <laughs> um so with my oldest, uh, she's very quiet, very, you know, timid. So that's the part that I resonate with because that's how I was at her age. Mm-hmm. Um, but she met she met her boyfriend uh, shortly after high school um, and they've been together ever since. And she's very. Um, let me not put her business in the street, but, you know, <laughs> she's, she's so considerate and not saying that I'm not considerate, but she's right. very considerate and she's very, uh, she goes with the flow. And I mean, so maybe she is a lot like me now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it. It's just so, she's just so accommodating and very kind and very, you know, she just, she doesn't like a lot of change. Mm-hmm. It's like she's gonna stay in this relationship, and that's it. We're not going down. Course. Yeah, yeah. She and I, in my mind, I used to think, "Well, you're so young. Don't do like I did, and, and right. just settle on this one person, and that's it for your the rest of your life." You know, be willing to be exploratory, not where you gotta like be a whore, but you know, just yeah. Do do things with different people, go on activities, but she's very reserved. So I leave her alone. But the one thing that I always advise her is don't lose your voice. I'm very, very adamant about use your voice, speak up for yourself, advocate for yourself. It's something uh, if you notice that he says or does something that is out of pocket, that you feel a little sting in your stomach or your gut where it's, you feel like it's hurtful or disrespectful or out of alignment, then you need to check it right then and there. Right. Because if you don't check it right then and there, that's a signal to him that he can keep doing it mm-hmm. or that it's okay. And if it's something that you don't like, you don't ever want to give someone the impression that it's okay for them to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. So that was the main thing that I emphasize with her because she's so quiet and kind of passive or whatever. My second oldest is a little bit more of a 
She got a little edge to her. <laughs> she got a little too. She got a mouth. <laughs> so with her, I got to give her opposite advice. I have to advise her to, you know, listen, you know, mm-hmm. don't be quick to enter into a situation with your mouth, you know, hear the other side, you know, be, be, be willing to look at things from both perspectives and, and not, uh, always like when you're dealing with someone, don't think about the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Don't think the worst of a person because you've had a, you know, experience with someone else that wasn't great. And, and I'm trying to get her to understand that boys at her age, you know, 18, and they're not looking for what you're looking for because she's the mindset of, I want a family and three kids and a picket fence. And she's that Mm -hmm. ideal girl that Mm -hmm. has, the whole marriage thing planned out and she knows what the house is going to look like, the wedding's going to look like. And so I have to coach her on those are very high ideals. And those are expectations that no teenage boy is going to meet. They're not even thinking about that. They're trying to get notches on their belt at this age. (laughs) And, you know, it's just an unrealistic expectation to think you're going to meet somebody at 18 who's ready to settle down and have four kids and a picket fence and a house. And Right. So I'm trying to push her into phase one and phase two of getting to know yourself, figure out what you want, figure out what mm-hmm. you like, um, you know, develop your own identity and and create a life for yourself. What career path are you going to go down? And because you're going to have to take care of all these babies that you're talking about having. And if you see me struggle, you know that this was not easy. So, you know, absolutely. You want to have that six figure job by the time baby one comes, or, you know, even if you can get it by baby two, you just want to have something that is going to position you not to struggle with your babies and with your family, set Mm -hmm. yourself up for success. So when that time comes and it will come at the right time, you're ready. But she's one of those very emotional and I kind of call it like the stereotypical female. <laughs> I'm not like that. So I was like, this is what the casebook female is. So it's just like very emotional, like just that fantasy of romance. And mm-hmm. I didn't have it, so I can't relate. But I, I try to you know, talk to her from a logical point of view so she can get perspective and you know bring it down a notch not saying you had to give up on your dream right but put it in perspective so that you can plan accordingly you know it's, mm-hmm. you know if you think about you getting your career and all those things just think about it the fact that I'm getting ready for my family right and it'll motivate you to keep doing what you need to do and you know 25 30 will be here before you know it hmm Pop that baby in the oven, pop it out. <laughs> have your family. <laughs> have your family. Yeah. So that's what I've been talking to them about as of late. Um, but you know, I really want them to focus on their careers and mm-hmm. and getting financially independent because I don't want them to enter into the world with that mindset of finding a man to take care of them. I hate that. Right. I hate that thinking. You know, you don't need a, you know, white, you know, a a knight in shining armor Mm -hmm. coming to rescue you. You should have the bank account to rescue yourself. Right. Because it it positions you to make better choices and relationships when you're not coming from a place of need and desperation. You're going to be able to qualify people a lot better 
when you're not looking for someone to pay your rent or right. buy your car, buy your own car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want them to be like that. But it seems like with moms, they don't know anything, you know? <laughs> and it's like someone else could say the exact same thing. Like you could talk to my daughter tomorrow and say the exact same thing I said to you. She would be like mind blown. Oh my God. That was so good. That was such great advice. I literally said, I literally said the same thing last week. Literally. Said, and it happened to me a couple of times. Like, and I'm like, it, it, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's like, I guess they're just so used to me always talking. They zone me out. It is. It's that. As a daughter, that's what it is. Okay. Well, I appreciate you cluing me in. <laughs> like, sometimes it gets all lost in. And it, what I'll say is you're giving the priming so that when somebody else says it, it sinks in. Mm. So it's not wasted words. Okay. But somebody else gets it and it sinks in. Because I know... My mom can probably talk about all the times and what she's like, I said that. I said that too. And I was like, you couldn't have because I only heard it from them. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. But I'm sure there's nuggets that she has said that that rooted. I just needed somebody else to water the plant. Yeah. I like that. I like that that frame of reference because it's like, well, at least I'm laying the foundation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't care if, you know, someone else gets the actual credit for it. At least I know I laid the foundation. You know, you know. Yeah. And the most important thing that the results happen. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Shannon, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. But before we let you go, we have one last question that we ask all of our guests. And that question is, is marriage worth it? (laughs) I think it is. I think it is if all the other things are in place, like compatibility, alignment, you know, commonality and purpose and you know if all the things are in alignment and we're not in a relationship out of desperation or loneliness and we truly are you know together because we're friends and we want to push each other to further growth and development it absolutely can be worth it because you know you can get more done with two than one Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't do it under any other circumstances fair enough and there you have it did you, did you want to plug your podcast or anything else? Uh, sure. So my podcast is Upgrade to Get Paid. And I just basically help people upgrade their mindset and skills so that they can give themselves a raise. Uh, and that was really born out of my experience of transitioning from being a struggling single mom and, you know, trans, transforming my career and really giving myself a raise every year from the time I was divorced until today. So I talk about a range of things, but it's all focused on helping people increase their income. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, you can go to UpgradeToGetPaid.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show. and Or if you want to be interviewed, uh, you can reach out to me there as well. Well, thank you very much. Um, you can follow Merit Is Marriage Worth It at on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Marriage Worth It. You can also email us marriageworthit at gmail.com if you have any questions or would like to be a guest thanks for listening I'm Monique and I'm Janelle and this has been Is Marriage Worth It?